Welcome to NextWorks Innovation Talks. Let our podcast inspire you with inside stories and conversations about innovation. Welcome. I'm Laurence van Eerlingham. I am Communications Director at NextWorks. And today I am very pleased to introduce organizational behavior expert Frederik Ansiel in our podcast show. Um, Frederik is specialized in researching how people contribute to organizational success. He's a professor and the Vice Dean of Research at King's Business School, and also has several years of industry experience as a founder of two HR consulting firms. His work has been featured in leading academic journals, as well as in the Harvard Business Review, BBC, Nature, The New York Times, The Guardian, and many more. But he's also one of the last avid fans of Roy Orbison, but that's a completely different story. So care to elaborate on that, Friedrich? I'm very curious. <laughs> Good morning, Laurence. Yes, I know that the Roy Orbison thing, it, it's a strange thing. And my friends have learned to put up with it. I'm probably one of the last uh, <laughs> real fans. Uh, I know it sounds a bit corny, but I think it is one of the best voices of the last century. <laughs> and the sort of music he made, his tragic life story and how they are connected. And I think it's brilliant. I in- invited you for the NextWorks Innovation Talks because I'm really a, a huge fan of your ideas and your no-nonsense attitude and because actually I've become a bit obsessed lately with a very specific topic, which is about the increased pressure that companies seem to be putting on employees to keep reinventing themselves along with the, the organization. So mm-hmm. we can start a conversation with you telling a little bit about yourself. So what brought you where you are today? Um, were you, I don't know, always dispassionate about how people behave or did you maybe almost accidentally roll into your current career? Actually, actually, I don't know. You, you have two kind of people, I think. Some people say that everything happened to them by accident and I don't believe <laughs> that. And other people have this narrative, a story about themselves, like it was all very well thought out. I think I fall somewhere in between. <laughs> even, even in my free time, I find myself reading all sorts of papers and listening to podcasts about human behavior, how people make decisions, how they make mistakes, how they think about themselves. So I think it's sort of a passion and there's probably a bit of luck involved too. And mm-hmm. and that's probably how I ended up here. And I, I love what I do. Today, there's this tension between agility on an organizational level and that on an individual level. Companies need to adapt faster to keep up with the market. And so, of course, they expect their employees to do the same but people's talents, um, intellectual ability, and their identity are not fully fluid. The way we can transform ourselves on a personal level is actually limited. So how can we solve that? And what needs to change? I, I think you're right. And I, I, this tension is, is a very real one. Uh, there, there's two sides of, of it. I think a lot of agility in companies and transforming themselves is often not done in a very good way. And that is the reason why people are not following. And so sometimes you see change just for the change of it. Mm-hmm. And people have this sort of change fatigue because they don't see the value of the change and the change is not credible. Sometimes uh, organizations just follow trends, they follow hypes, mm-hmm. and people sort of see through that. So mm-hmm. I think a very valuable thing is if a CEO wants their uh, company to transform, to change, mm-hmm. that they really make it a very consistent effort throughout the company and explain to people why, how they will do it, and what the endpoint is. And this sort of mantra of change is a given and we, we will change every few months 
that is very difficult to get people behind that. So that is the first thing is that in terms of agility, there's often a lack of strategy of making a clear choice. And so that is a problem on the organization side. Then there's a problem on the individual side. This idea that people just need to follow the change of the organization. I don't really agree that people's potential for change is so restricted and limited. We know people come with a certain cognitive abilities and people come with a certain personality. But on the other hand, we also see increasingly that people can change. People can learn if they believe in the value of that and if they believe that they can do it themselves. But what is often lacking is a sort of path, a vision where they could go to. And so we do research on what we call future work selves. And that is just about the sort of examining what sort of identity people have at the moment and what sort of identities they could have in the future. And then what we often see that people have no clue about their future identity. They don't see pathways. They don't see a future, how it could be different. And when we sort of encourage people to play around, and this can be in a very small way, experimenting with different roles, thinking about themselves, how they could work in the future, we see suddenly that people become aware of all the possibilities they have, Mm -hmm. and suddenly that becomes exciting. So people often underestimate a bit, and they don't see what is possible, but when they see what is possible, there's actually a lot they could do. So Mm -hmm. I'm not so pessimistic about the potential of individual change. Okay. So this concept of future work cells is really interesting, but whose responsibility is this? Is this the responsibility of the employees themselves that need to think about that? Or is this more the organizations that need to steer this? Or, or how do you see this? How does this work? <laughs> Very difficult question. We're, we're probably not there yet to answer that. But what I think it will be definitely a sort of an interplay. It should be some sort of co-creation. So It might be true that some people have a narrow vision, are happy with what they do. And as an organization, you also need to think if people are very good in what they are doing Mm -hmm. and they add a lot of value to the company, you do not need to push people in new new roles just for the sake of change, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes you can find that people add a lot of value and just keep on doing what they're doing. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you can change the organization around them. So the idea that we need to push people out of their comfort zones is sometimes taken to the extreme. I think there's also value in people staying in roles where they add a lot of value. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, I think people should be aware of their own career and think about where they could move. And so it it would not be bad if people from time to time take a bit of time to reflect on where they are and where they should go. Mm -hmm. So there's some sort of an interplay and a co-creation about these future careers. What I also think is lacking is the idea in organizations that people do not necessarily need to build their entire career within that company. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I think companies build a long-term perspective and then they say, I don't know how to develop those people within the company. Mm -hmm. Maybe you need to think outside the company. People can cross the boundaries of a company, find other jobs, and maybe return to the company within five years or within 10 years. I think companies need to be a bit more flexible in thinking about this sort of careers. Is this not something that would immensely scare companies? Like they're very valuable and good employees, and then they think, okay, within 10 years, maybe he could go somewhere to the competition. 
situation, but then he can come back. I like the concept. I'm not laughing at the idea, but I think that people will be really scared of that, no? Yes, and that is a good challenge because, so what I hear from companies is that they now say, well, individuals or employees, they're scared of change and they're like paralyzed. Well, this is a challenge for organizations. Don't be scared. Don't be afraid of change. Be mm -hmm. open to it. And if you look at football, let's say that you have European football, you have the Champions League. What you often have is that very talented people are being developed in one team and then they become a star in another team mm -hmm. and maybe at the end of their career they come back look at uh, Vincent company this is what he's doing so he was trained in Anderlecht and then he goes to Manchester City brilliant career and now he's coming back and so we actually see also in research that companies gain a lot of value if their employees leave the company but stay on good terms and have good connections mm -hmm. you can learn from people who left the company work in other industries mm -hmm. work with competitors but keep close relationships and we see that a lot of innovation in companies comes exactly from these employees who mm -hmm. have left but mm -hmm. are still sort of boundary spanners between those two companies mm -hmm. so it's an invitation to companies to think a bit more openly about these things is there research about the fact that when people leave that they come back yes actually there is and we know where innovation is born innovation is born at the crossroads of different perspectives combining different perspectives so if you want to think about innovation as a company this is what you need you need to bring in outsider perspective external perspectives and combine them with the current expertise that you have and so this is where uh, innovation originates so i think For people management, for HR managers, this is exactly how you can contribute to innovation at the organizational level. Mm -hmm. So maybe if we would think about this in a structural level, that maybe organizations that are maybe maybe not between competitors, because that would seem like a far stretch, but non-competing organizations that could maybe exchange certain types of employees for, I don't know, a year, two years, and then they, they would come back. I, I like that idea. Okay, let's agree on the competitor thing that, that <laughs> maybe no, no. bridge too far. Yes. But let's think about that. You maybe could form consortia of, let's say, for instance, technology companies that are in different industries, and you think about this and you say, let's build career trajectories for high potential so that they can move between companies, but we still keep them close so that they are able to come back. Actually, I should say that universities are often seen as a bit old-fashioned, but that exists in universities. So we actually have career trajectories where we encourage people to leave the university for one, two, three years mm -hmm. and then come back and bring in all the knowledge. And we see that that is where our new inventions, intellectual property, patents, that's where they come from. Mm -hmm. So I think companies might want to think about that. Yeah, but what's really interesting is, is that, in fact, that these universities are probably competitors sometimes. They are. And so I, I know that there's often a bit of a resistance or, or sort of reluctance to mm -hmm. do this. Mm -hmm. And so that's the reason why these exchanges often happen internationally and not yeah. within national <laughs> boundaries. So, uh -huh. so we, we often feel more comfortable if somebody leaves for the US and then comes back uh -huh. than, for instance, if somebody in the UK would move from one university in the UK to another one. Uh -huh. So I, I think this sort of uh, global patterns may be a more acceptable way of thinking about it. Okay. 
You, you talked a bit about that sometimes organizations tend to want to put people out of their comfort zone a bit too much, but there are companies that do that in an almost structural way. Like I heard that Microsoft on purpose works with mobile teams. So they switched from one team to another. Is that something that could be interesting? Or do you think that it's only for certain profiles that other people would become really stressed out by that? Or what do you think of, of such a concept? Yeah, honestly, I like the concept. Of course, some people are more ready for to, to do these kind of things, but maybe we underestimate how many people that would benefit from this because what we often see, and that is sometimes called the authenticity paradox, the idea is that you come with a certain identity and that you want to be authentic in your role And some new roles don't feel authentic to you. For instance, it might be that you, for instance, move towards a sales position or a leadership role. And that in the beginning, that might feel a bit authentic. But what we see is that if you just gain some experience in a new role and experiment a bit with it, suddenly people grow into that role. Mm-hmm. And suddenly it might feel like part of their identity. So one of the things that when, when I do some career coaching and executive coaching, what I often stress or, or encourage people to do is say, you do not need to transition into a role permanently and think this is the new me, but you need to experiment with different roles and just say, it's an experiment. Let's see what it brings. And if I don't like it, I go back to my previous role. Mm -hmm. Just try out different roles. And you quickly see that people, by being exposed to a new role, a new environment, they sort of internalize that very quickly and it feels almost natural to them. Mm -hmm. So without experimenting with new roles, it's very difficult to learn about your own potential and discover what you could do. So this idea of moving in teams and mobile teams, I like that very much. And I think a lot of people could suddenly discover that they're much more agile and they have roles Mm -hmm. that they would be very good in and they have underestimated themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a really great perspective because we tend to talk a lot about how companies need to experiment with products and with services and that they should innovate and do radical innovation and business model innovation. But we actually never talk about experimenting with roles in the HR. So that's a really interesting concept. Yes, I think there's this mantra in entrepreneurship that people say, treat your organization as an experiment to quickly pivot, to quickly uh, change things. Well, maybe sometimes you need to treat your own role and your career as an experiment. And why not try out new things and sometimes go about it in a more playful manner Mm -hmm. and see what works for you and what not. But of course, the organization, the structure needs to allow for that. Mm -hmm. And so what I often see is that organizations push their people to change, but you then need to provide a structure that allows people to play around with those new roles and to experiment. And if they don't like something, to make sure that they have something to fall back on. So that is the responsibility of HR, I think. Is that not something that would be dangerous for like, what do they call it, the Peter principle that people evolve and go in another role and in another role and then they, they don't fit anymore and then it's even hard to go back? So indeed, the Peter principle is the, is the idea that you get promoted to a certain level yeah. where you are suddenly find yourself incompetent for and then your career <laughs> ends. I, I think my idea is a bit more nuanced. First, it is not necessarily about promotions. Mm-hmm. It can okay. be experimenting with different roles. So it also can involve uh, lateral moves or expanding your own role or changing your own role. That's the first thing. Mm -hmm. And I also think that 
the idea about the Peter principle is that you immediately make promotion and you need to prove yourself in the role. You get the end responsibility. Mm-hmm. What I think is needed is a more like temporary experimenting with roles. So it does not feel as final as a sort of end destination. But you say, look, Frederick is taking up this new role in this team. And we will try out for a year how that works. And if it feels good for the organization, for the team and for Frederick, we might pursue this further. But we're also very open to redesigning that role again. And so then it feels less stressful because everybody knows and I know it is an experiment and nobody will judge me. And it's no longer about success or failure. Mm -hmm. It's about a constant renewal of the roles and the organization. Sure. So when we talk about this, put people in the the right place and the right role, although they they could shift, of course, but one of the things I was thinking about is amidst such a a growing epidemic of unhappy and burnt out employees, could the solution really be as simple as putting employees in the most appropriate part of a company? And especially this, could HR tech play uh, an important role in that? So measuring and predicting who would be happiest where. And of course, that would not be just one place. That could be several places, but sometimes people are put in places where they don't fit. So the the sort of epidemic of uh, burnout or disengagement is a very complicated problem. A lot is captured under this broad label of what burnout is. What is driving this is a sort of uh, an unhappiness, a dissatisfaction with the way things are going. I think there's a lot of promise in HR tech, but predicting where people will be the most happy is not one of them. What is actually lacking is a fundamental appreciation of human beings and identity and who they are Mm -hmm. and connecting with them on a human level. Mm -hmm. And so my prediction is the more that workplaces will be technology-driven, and that is unavoidable, technology and automation will be a a very large part of the future of work. Mm -hmm. But the more that is happening, the more attention we will have to pay to the human aspect of work. People at work making a true connection. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what I see is driving the burnout epidemic is that we do not really understand why people work, what they are seeking in work, and we need to value people for what they are doing. We need to try to understand what drives them, what motivates them, and helping people to make their own choices Mm -hmm. and giving them autonomy and making those choices. And the idea that HR tech would assign them to certain parts of the company or certain roles and that will make them happy. Mm -hmm. I think that reflects a misunderstanding of the psychology of work. Mm -hmm. People feel most motivated and most satisfied when they feel in control and they make their own choices. So if anything, we need to make sure that people have a feeling that they are in charge themselves and determining their own careers. Mm -hmm. So we need to be very careful what we do with HR tech. Okay. But speaking of HR tech and and the fact that you don't think that it's important for putting people in the right place, what role would HR tech then have? Can you give examples of uh, positive examples of the use of HR tech in companies? So what you see is that a a lot of things that people stress about are small things, actually, small hassles at work, small hindrances. And it's the accumulation of a lot of small hindrances That makes work uh, stressful. Mm -hmm. And so if HR tech could make all these things almost effortless and make people work easier and much more smoothly, I think that could help. And so I mean, all things that have to do with administration, bureaucracy, rules, getting things done, even 
PDRs, uh, performance development reviews, all this tracking, measuring things, if that could go in a very effortless way mm -hmm. and feed in to people's work at the time they need it and when they want it and in the most useful format, that is the role of HR tech. That could help a lot. Mm -hmm. And so what you often see is that people get information and a lot of data that doesn't really help them and they need to sort of work their way through it. And so we need to think about how HR tech will help people work in the most efficient manner when they need it in the format that they need it. And, and that requires some thinking and redesigning of a lot of our processes. And honestly, I think we need a better insight in how people work in the, in the psychology mm -hmm. and the neuroscience of how people work. That's so true. But what about reskilling? Could you maybe give an example of a company that's both great at training and reskilling its employees and at allowing them to experiment with different roles, but without putting too much pressure on them. I won't name uh, companies because yeah. I, I work with companies, but often have confidentiality agreements. No. Of course. Um, yeah. But I know the struggle is uh, very real in large companies. Mm -hmm. And to give you an example, so uh, I'm not telling any secrets if I say that in finance and banking and insurance companies who are uh, very large, structured, hierarchical companies, they're struggling uh, with this issue. Mm -hmm. And remarkably, the solution often comes from small companies. And so I've been working with, for instance, small businesses. And if I say small businesses, like say, let's say companies between 100 and 300 employees. And I've been talking to family-owned small companies. And I've seen the, some of the principles that I'm saying here, they're really applying that. For instance, I know a company, uh, about 250 employees, and they make furniture. And the CEO of that company, also the owner of that company, when I gave a talk about these principles, afterwards he came to me and he said, I'm so glad to hear the story because th this is what I've been doing for 10 years. And I always thought that it was some sort of a family thing. But that's what we do. We ask every one of our employees each year one point, one issue. How will you contribute this year to our company? And what sort of role would you want to have in the company to make that happen? And how can we support you in that? Mm -hmm. And that means that sometimes people change roles. Sometimes they stay in a role because they say, well, I'm not finished yet with my role and I want to continue in this. And they, they, they think about it in a very flexible way. And, and I can assure you, this is a really old school, almost family business. So this is not a technology company. This is no fancy thing. This is an owner of three generations uh, old company. Mm -hmm. And so I think what works here is that you can do this because it is a family company where the owner and CEO knows every employee. So there's a very trusting relationship. So they first made sure that they connect on a personal level, on a human level. There's trust, there's psychological safety, and then people feel free to experiment because they know this company almost is like a home to us. Mm -hmm. It's almost like a family. And if you feel safe, you also feel safe to experiment, to learn new things, and you're willing to risk something. Mm -hmm. And so I think big companies can learn from that. So maybe we could say that stress from employees does maybe not so much come from the fact that they need to reinvent themselves because the environment changes and the, the company changes, but the stress comes more from maybe lack of trust if they, they try something and it doesn't work out. That's a very good summary. I think the fear of failure of not, for instance, attaining some targets and knowing 
what the consequences of that could be is an extreme pressure and a very real stress factor. Mm-hmm. And if you then as a company at the same time sort of have a narrative, a story about and now people also need to change and reinvent themselves. That is a very difficult combination. I think that is not a good combination. You cannot stress people to their limits to attain certain results and at the same time expect them to reinvent themselves and play around with new roles. You need to give people some latitude and some safety if you expect them to change. Mm-hmm. So this whole reskilling thing, companies that really want to do this in a good way also need to think about the current roles and give people some slack to experiment with themselves. If we would build companies from scratch today, so not taking into account what we know or what we think we know about companies' uh, structures and cultures and employees, What do you think that will be different? Because when you think of it, even startups copy the traditional roles and structure. Mm. So they have a CMO, they have a CEO, they have a fixed and paid workforce. And when they grow, they have mid-management. So what do you think could be different if we build companies from scratch? That's a challenging question. (laughs) I I think to put a bit blunt, perhaps one of the biggest misunderstandings is the fact that you can manage people and that it's easy to manage people. Mm -hmm. And so if you look at the psychology of work, I think what we've learned along the way is that one of the biggest determinants of motivation and performance is that people have the feeling that they're in control. It's called self-determination, that people are in control of what they do, that they make their own decisions. And we've built organizations in a way that they sort of exclude that, that everything will be decided for them, Mm -hmm. that they get targets, that they get role descriptions. And so we take away autonomy and control. And the second thing is that a very fundamental need in people is relatedness. People want to relate to each other. And so they want to connect with each other and feel valued and appreciated with others. Mm -hmm. And the way we construct and the architecture of companies is often that you have silos and that people are often distanced from each other. There's a sort of an isolation. And actually, we need to have less walls and find ways how people feel part of a group. And when I say feel part of a group in a real authentic way, not something like this is our community, but people need to relate to each other on an individual level. And so these are two fundamental conditions to make sure that people feel satisfied or happy at work. So the idea of being in control and having some sort of connection with others. Mm -hmm. So if I would redesign companies, I would try to build this in as like the basic building blocks. I'm not saying that you need to have this sort of leaderless organization and that you need to get rid of all management. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a lot of companies now looking at how you can design jobs around people. And so there's sort of a personalization and that gives people more autonomy to drive their careers. And for instance, recently in Belgium, we have this um, sort of competition election of best employer. And what you see is that uh, some of the brands that score high there, they were able to build a company that is more of a community, that people really identify with the community, with their group. And I think that was a really good example. So something really interesting that you said about designing jobs around people. So would you advise maybe companies that maybe they would stop hiring people for specific specific jobs and functions, but they, but that they would hire people because of their fits maybe or in the, yes. yeah, and then design jobs around them? Yes. So, so I know some people say I'm crazy for saying this, but I, I think 
we need to start moving beyond the idea of that you first have a, a role description uh, with all the criteria and competences and, and then we find somebody that fits exactly that role description and, and that is very difficult and you see all these companies complaining about we can't find the right people and there's a very tight job market. Well, what I think is sometimes we need to be a bit more creative and you need to look for people that have a specific talent and hire for contribution. Mm -hmm. And so you might find somebody and say, wow, that is a unique talent that we could really use. We don't know yet in what sort of capacity, in what sort of role, but we need that talent because that will contribute to our end result. Mm -hmm. And... I'm sure we'll find a role for it. Or if we don't find a role for it, we'll create a role for it. I've seen that sometimes happening. And I think that's a very clever way of outsmarting the current tight uh, labor market. I really love that idea. So though I see one possible danger, companies tend to hire what they are, right? What I mean by that is that they hire certain people with certain profiles, certain skills, certain talents that they consider to be a match. Now, especially if they would no longer hire people for a specific job, they might make the wrong decision of only hiring people because of a fit with the company. And that could maybe result in a lack of diversity. What's your take on that? Yes, that's a real danger. That, that's a very good one. So I often say don't hire for fit. Mm -hmm. Because if you hire for fit, you will end up with people all looking very similar, with similar perspectives, similar mindsets. And we know that will restrict innovation. And so the problem will be that your company will not sort of renew itself. So I challenge people to not hire for fit, but instead hire for people with different perspectives, mm -hmm. with uh, new ideas, new skills, new expertise, and find roles for them. Mm -hmm. Because it's very true that we often hire for the current strengths of the company. And I understand that you have a very urgent, pressing need to fill a role. And so you're actually hiring for your current war or even the previous war mm -hmm. but you want to hire people for the future war that you, the future battle that you need to fight mm -hmm. and so i don't mind that you hire people for the contributions that they can now bring mm -hmm. but you need to allow then people to develop themselves and for instance bring in new ideas that maybe will benefit you in the future and will help you win your future battle yeah okay that's a that's a, an interesting concept and, and um, good conclusion but, but thank you it's a uh, it was really great talking to you uh, Frederic it was a really interesting conversation and um, so that's that's it for today thank you okay thank you Laurence thank you for a great conversation see you okay bye bye bye, bye, -bye. this was Nextworks Innovation Talks thank you so much for joining us and follow us on nextworks.com if you're hungry for more innovation news and events